You're listening to Parenting in the First Three Years, the place where we explore the strategies and soul of parenting from pregnancy through the first three years of life. I'm your host, Ann McKittrick. Thank you so much for joining me. Hello and welcome to today's episode. I'm so glad that you joined me. You know, as we wrap up this first year of Parenting in the First Three Years podcast, I want to give you a sneak peek of what's coming in 2023. We're going to add a new feature each month, and that's going to be personal stories of parents of little ones just like you. Each month, I'm going to be interviewing someone who will share their unique take on parenting. And if this sounds like something you'd like to do, let me know. There's a link right here in the show notes. In this episode, I'm so excited to introduce you to Miranda Deason. She's an American Montessori Society infant toddler credentialed teacher, and she's the mother of seven children, including a toddler and infant twins. Miranda has worked with young children and families for over 13 years in various settings. She wants to help bridge the gap between the lack and access of resources for families like hers. She's got a lot of wisdom to share with you, so here we go. Enjoy my conversation with Miranda Deason. Well, Miranda, thank you so much for being on the podcast with me today. I can't wait to hear what you have to share with moms and dads of little bitty children, as well as teenagers, because you have both at your house. So why don't you start by just telling us a little bit about your parenting journey? Hey, well, thank you so much for having me. And my parenting journey started 19 years ago when I was still (laughs) kind of young myself. Mm -hmm. So I have, I like to say, two sets of children because there's a 15-year age gap in between them. So my first set of children are 19, 18, 17, and 15. (laughs) So they're stair-step. And now I have three littles. I have seven-month-old twins and a 19-month-old toddler. (laughs) So children close in age is something I'm very familiar with. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I'm sure everyone listening is going, what? (laughs) That's a lot of kids. And uh, what a rich and amazing blessing to have all of those children in your life and the opportunity to parent them. I think that's really rich. I can only imagine how fun it is to be at your house on Christmas mornings. (laughs) Yeah, Christmas is a big deal. So yeah, we have a great time for Christmas. I'm very big on creating memories and traditions. So we have a good time for most holidays. (laughs) Yeah, I bet you do. So, you know, to have children with this 15-year gap in between, um, you have a really unique perspective on parenting because you've seen it. I'm sure that you've seen things change a lot between the first set of kids and the second set of kids. So I'm curious, how have you seen social media or just cultural expectations affect your feelings and emotions around your own parenting and how that's going? When my older kids were small, there wasn't a lot of social media present, especially not directed to parents the way there is now. And it's just so very different. Like on the one hand, it's really good because there are resources that people may not have known existed before, but sometimes it, I feel like it's a hindrance because although the people who put these things out there or have good intentions, it can sometimes be overwhelming or unrealistic for day-to-day for a lot of families. For example, like 
when I had my first set of children, I was not Montessori trained, but now I am. And Montessori is great and I love it. And so I was like, oh yes, I get to do all these great things at home. And so I'm on social media and I'm looking and I'm like, oh, I don't have that. I don't have this. I, I can't do that. And so it became really overwhelming and I had to stop and say, wait, like this is not the true <laughs> essence of what Montessori is. So I feel like a lot of times someone who does not have that experience to step back and say, this is not necessarily what it looks like in a home. It could be very overwhelming. It could put a lot of pressure on parents to do things that may not necessarily be achievable. Like you have to take things in small bites, especially like when you're considering even not a Montessori environment, any daycare environment, you have to think about that environment is set up for children to deal with multiple children. There are multiple caregivers for you to tap out to anytime. So I think sometimes maybe social media moguls or however you like to say maybe need to give a disclaimer and say give yourself some grace parents like this <laughs> this is what's happening behind the scenes please right. give yourself grace <laughs> right. yeah and there's a lot of people who who have that as part of their message and and um and so you know I I totally understand what you're saying in fact um there's a, a conference coming up, the National Association for the Education of Young Children. I, along with um, two other early childhood colleagues, we are going to do a presentation on that very thing about how uh, social media oftentimes will communicate something in a way that makes you feel this onus, like this weight of I've got to do it this way or I'm going to be doing something wrong. And we're we're doing it all around attachment and, um, you know, kind of exploring attachment parenting social media wise or as, you know, as as portrayed versus attachment theory and what the child development researchers have told us through their, you know, through their learning and research about the attachment that happens between parents and and their babies and how how that happens and what you need to do to make that happen versus what's communicated in the, you know, in the social media world. And so it's been really fun to explore that, that comparison. That is very interesting. I'd be excited to hear more about that. Yeah, yeah. So how do you manage the everyday? Because that's a lot of children. Um, do your college kids, are they living at home? So you have seven at home or are a couple of them away? I have seven at home. Okay. <laughs> so the two that are in college are going to school locally. One was supposed to be staying in dorm in a dorm, but there were so many children, there was no space. So thankfully we're local. So she was still able to go to the school she wanted to go to. It, they, they, it is very helpful having that right. gap in the age of the children. So they help quite a lot, but I try to make it so that they don't feel responsible because those aren't their children. So anything they do to help is appreciated. So it's not like, Hey, it's your tour to come help me do this. It's more right. so like, Hey, I'm juggling all these things. If you can lend a hand, that would be helpful. So I've learned to ask for help because for me, that's, you know, I want to be super mom. I can do this. I can do that. Don't worry about it. I have it all. So mm -hmm. I think the biggest thing for me with managing a household this size is that I had to learn to ask for help. Right. I can imagine that you also have to stay very organized. <laughs> True. And I, I thought I was until I had this second set with younger children. I thought I was. So now I'm, I'm recalibrating to try to figure out how to be organized with young ones and old ones. So right. I do like 
planning is very important. I have a family calendar for the older ones. Like if you have something or you need something for me, put it on the calendar. If it's not on the calendar, I, it does not exist to me because that's what I look at. I like, that's how I keep on top of things. Mm-hmm. And I do a lot of preparation. I feel like having things prepared in advance is the key. So I make a weekly menu. And now the older ones are old enough that everybody has their assigned day. They give me what their meal is that they're going to cook on their day of the week. And I purchase accordingly. And that's something we've just started. And it's working out pretty fun. But even before that, I meal planning, having clothes laid out for the week in advance, all those things are like key to my sanity. It has to be prepped. (laughs) Everything has to be prepped. Right. And, you know, I mean, I know that this, this podcast is geared towards people with really little children, but I can remember when one of my kids, she was living, you know, away from the home. She was living in a house with some roommates. And um, the fact that they had cooked at home a lot, was very, very helpful in that, in that, you know, first living experience um, away from the home. And one of her roommates, she, she didn't know how she was going to be able to um, have canned soup because they didn't have a microwave at their house. And, and so, you know, she just didn't, she had never in her life opened the can of soup and put it into a a saucepan and put it on the stove to heat it up. And so there's so many skills that people, that our kids need to learn about living their life and being autonomous adults out in this world that come, you know, from from that very thing. Your kids are going to be so beautifully prepared just in that whole meal planning thing and helping out with the, the younger siblings. I think that's really cool. I'll be very I well sure hope so. <laughs> I sure hope so. <laughs> as far as the younger ones, I do the same thing with them. Like the twins don't go to daycare, but my toddler does. So uh, the school he goes to, he has to prepare his lunch. So I usually, if I know it's going to be sunflower butter sandwiches, I make a couple of them up in advance, stick them in a the deep freezer. So they're just ready to go. I try to pre-measure out his little stuff. So it's already prepared for him. And then he also has the autonomy to choose which things he wants to put in his lunch because they're already prepared. Nice, nice. And so he packs his lunch. Does he pick, yes. the, pick the things up and put them in the back? Yes, I try to involve him as much as possible because with him, I've learned that the more involved he is, the more he does things willingly. <laughs> Remember that, folks. That's key to toddlerhood. Involve them. <laughs> right. So, like, yeah, like he is very excited. He takes a lot of pride in packing his lunch. And he's like, backpack, backpack. I'm like, yeah, let's get your backpack. Let's get you. What do you want to take for lunch today? Mm-hmm. So it, it's very helpful to let him be involved with that as well as just like picking out his clothes and all of those types of things. Mm -hmm. And I know that a lot of what you're describing there is very much influenced by your Montessori education and the certification that you have. So why don't you talk a little bit about that, about how your Montessori education has influenced your parenting, even in the two sets of kids that you have, basically. Uh, I would probably say the biggest way it has influenced me is allowing the children to have independence because when my first set of children were younger, you know, it was just easier for me. Oh, I'll do it. 
I'll fold the clothes, I'll wash the clothes, I'll do all these things versus actually letting them help me and to let them have a sense of pride and being able to do things on their own. So mm-hmm. now this go around, I'm definitely more hands-on, like, oh, you can do it. Look at you. You want to help me unload the dishwasher? Sure. <laughs> so with my toddler, I let him help me. Like he has a little step stool, he'll put his clothes in the washer. I try to involve him as much as possible. And I know sometimes the other household members are like, he's in the way. I'm like, he's trying to help. (laughs) Just let him help or say, thank you. If you tell him, oh, thank you. I don't need help right now. Sometimes he'll go away unless he's like really determined, like, no, you need help. I'm going to help you. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that's, I think that's probably why many parents uh, just choose to do it for themselves it's because it's kind of a hassle <laughs> to let your toddler help with those kinds of things. I, I would agree with that. It, it can be a hassle, but it's so ingrained in me now that it's easier for me to let him help me unless I'm doing something that's more dangerous. Like if I'm trying to cut something with a knife, then of course I wouldn't involve him. I may give him something else to do, but even though it takes more time, it's less of a mental struggle, an emotional struggle, because he's not having meltdowns when he's trying to help versus me viewing it as, oh, you're in my way. I'm trying to do this to involve him the whole time. A lot of times it's just like, hey, I want to be close to you. I want to feel connected to you. I want to do what you're doing. So even though it does take more time, it's less of a mental and emotional strain, I think, for the both of us. Right. Yeah. That's a that's a great mindset. And one that, you know, that we need to keep top of mind is that the main thing is to stay connected and allow your child to to be with you, which is all that they really want to do is is to be with you, especially at that age. Now, your teenagers probably don't feel that way. (laughs) No. And I will say disclaimer, it does not happen overnight. It takes you have to intentionally do it. It is hard, <laughs> even though I try to gracefully do it often, even though it's so ingrained in me, it's hard. So again, parents, like give yourself some grace. If if Absolutely. one day you're just not in the mood and you're frustrated, it's okay to say, hey, baby, I, I don't need help right now. Let me find something for you to do while I do this. So please always give yourself grace. Don't beat yourself up about <laughs> the one or two times that you didn't have the patience to deal with it. I feel like as parents, we, we just have to give ourselves the same patience that sometimes we wish we would give to our children. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's exactly true. So along that same lines, what are some ways that you take care of yourself? How do you fill your own cup in the midst of your busy, busy world and life? And I'm so bad with this. <laughs> I, I don't, I've now gotten to the point because I'm starting to feel burnt out. And I'm like, hey, you, you need to stop and listen to your body and listen to yourself. So now I, I kind of force myself to take, even if it's just five or 10 minutes in the car before I go in the house, or if I say, hey, you guys, can somebody step up and want to take me an extra long bubble bath today? I just need to decompress. I, I've had to learn to create those moments like I I could wish they would just happen in the day but if I don't consciously focus on hey I need to reset and hone in on I'm not just mommy or Miss Miranda I am Miranda so I need to take time to do things that I like so what that looks like sometimes is baking cookies I like to bake sometimes Mm -hmm. I crochet sometimes it's me not going anywhere on my lunch break and just reading because I like to read. So I don't have a lot of time. So I just try to create little pockets of space 
but I've learned that I have to be intentional about that. Otherwise I get left out. <laughs> yes. I, I think that's, that's so true. And I can certainly remember that when my children were, I had three under four, you know, and so I remember that feeling of just feeling like there's not a minute in the day that I can even stop to, to do anything for myself. And it does have to be very intentional and it sometimes doesn't happen as often as you want it to. <laughs> <laughs> but it's always a good goal, right? Yes, I, I agree. So what would be your advice to moms who just feel like they never get out from underneath the daily grind? What's your words of encouragement for them? Uh, I would say to just pause, breathe. <laughs> you will get through this. And again, like I was saying, even for myself, you have to be intentional about creating some type of space for yourself, whether it's five minutes alone to have a cup of coffee, something for you. You have to create some space for you to relax and be able to give all the way you do for your children and your family. Mm -hmm. How do you support the moms that you work with? Because I know we haven't even mentioned this, but you are an infant teacher at a Montessori uh, program. So how do you support those moms? I try to be as empathetic as possible. I let them know, just like I'm telling your listeners, like give yourself grace. Even if you had a perfect three children and this is your fourth child and you're pulling your hair out, every child is different. Even if they were all the same, we change, times change. Like there is literally no instant will ever be the same. So you have to give yourself grace and be flexible with that. And just like, don't be afraid to ask for help. Like, mm -hmm. please don't be afraid to ask for help. It's okay to be overwhelmed. Like those feelings are normal. It's okay to feel frustrated. Sometimes I feel like a lot of times moms especially get a lot of flack. Like, but you wanted to be a mom. Like you shouldn't like, there's a stigma that mom shouldn't get tired. And I'm here to tell you, it's okay. You're human. Take time for you. Breathe, relax. It's okay to be frustrated. It's okay to be overwhelmed. You just have to figure out ways to help you come out of that, whether that's asking for help or just taking a five minute breather in the bathroom away from everybody. Like it's all normal feelings and I f it's okay. Right. Yeah. That's a great message. So I know that a lot of, of your heart and your, you know, passion for your work is helping parents to find um, ways that they can get support um, locally from resources. So how would you help? What would you say to parents who need help in identifying what those resources are? And how can how can people find some help? Uh, sometimes it could be as easy as asking your pediatrician. Uh, WIC is a good resource. Uh, they don't just su uh, supply nutritional support for families. They also give uh, resources for food banks. They give resources for mental health, resources for specialists. Um, ECI is another good one if your child is having some developmental concerns, or even if you're not sure, it doesn't hurt to ask. Like if you're not sure because this is new to you and you don't have anybody to ask, it, it doesn't hurt to reach out. And I would say social media, but you have to be very careful with what you look up on social media. I would say look for more reputable people who reference sites, maybe like the American Pediatrics or are able to give you the resources where they, the research where they 
found these resources, not just, hey, this is my opinion. So if you're going to go on social media, try to find somebody who's research based with the information they're sharing with you. Great advice. Really good advice. Well, thank you so much um, for sharing all of this with you. I think that we could, I think people probably would love to hear more about your story. And so if they wanted to, how could they find you? What, how could you connect with people who might want to speak with you? Uh, well, you can follow me on Facebook through One Good Learn Deserves Another or Instagram. My handle on Instagram is One Good Learn. Okay, great. Well, thank you so much. And um, I hope that one day I get to meet all of these children of yours. <laughs> we do live in the same city. And so maybe that will happen sometime. Thank you so much for being with me, Miranda. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. This was really fun. Good. If you love today's episode, take a minute and subscribe to our podcast. And one last thing, I'd love to pray for you and your baby if you'd like for me to. You can email me at ask at nurturednoggins.com. Your request can be as simple as just one word, or it can include an explanation. Either way, you can trust that I will pray for you. It's a quiet, simple way that I can connect with you and your family and support you in your parenting journey.